Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of John, chapter 19, verses 25b through 30. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, He said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As part of a sabbatical granted to me 13 years ago by this congregation, I enjoyed a 10-day tour of Turkey. Along with all the other amazing moments that were part of it, I enjoyed a hot air balloon ride over the rugged landscape of Cappadocia, enjoyed getting to see Ramadan as it unfolded in a Muslim land, and experienced a six-hour negotiating session for a Turkish rug (laughs) that still graces our living room. And yet, clearly, the point of that trip was for me to visit some biblical sites. And I did so, and among those stops, none compared to Ephesus, the place where Paul taught and encouraged and lived for three years. It was after a wonderful two-hour tour of that architectural site that my guide then took me just a few miles away to a structure called the House of the Virgin Mary. It's a restored small structure that now serves as a chapel. Before I arrived there, I thought that simply it had been named, after has been countless other structures around the world, named after Jesus' mother. And that's true, and yet upon arriving, I learned that pilgrims visit that site and believe it to be the place where Mary spent her final days. The story includes a vision by a German nun in the 18th century of people later who went to excavate excavate the site where she had never been, but she had seen in this vision and then of countless visits by the popes, popes over the years since. It grows out of an extra-biblical tradition that the Apostle John 
took Mary after the events at the cross and went to live in Ephesus. Adding to that tradition are the ruins of a church nearby that purports to have the final burial place of John as well. And it is those pieces that cause both Christian and Muslim pilgrims to believe that it is actually the house where Mary ended her days on this earth. There's nothing in the Bible that either supports or refutes that tradition. But instead, it grows out of a line that we just heard read. A moment when Jesus said to his mother, Woman, this is your son. Those words were spoken amidst the excruciating pain of crucifixion. John tells us that there were four women at the foot of the cross. Mary, Jesus' aunt, one named Mary, uh, wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. We're also told that there was one man standing there, one that's often been referred to as the beloved disciple, that many scholars believe actually to be John himself. We heard that from the cross, Jesus looked, and that when he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. Soon thereafter, Jesus expresses that he is thirsty and someone lifts to him a sponge soaked in sour wine, and Jesus drinks of it, and then he says, it is finished. And John concludes, then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. During the season of Lent, we have been focusing on these repeated moments in Jesus' final hours when he is handed over from one person or group to another, and we have recalled how he was handed over by Judas to the Jewish authorities, who then handed him over to Pontius Pilate, who then handed him over to the soldiers. Jesus endured on the cross only a brief period of time. As John then says, he gave up his spirit. Now the verb that is translated there as gave up can also mean handed over his spirit. And I prefer that latter translation as it depicts Jesus who actually shaped the timing of his final moments on earth. It's consistent with something Jesus had told his disciples weeks earlier when he said, no one takes my life from me, I give it up. And so it is on the cross, we see that happen as Jesus shapes the very last moment and when it ends. Over the years, I've heard of other people who have done that. My paternal grandmother was in a coma in the hospital and she died immediately after having heard from the last of her grandchildren. My 95-year-old maternal grandmother told her daughters she did not want to move to another apartment in her assisted living facility, and she died the day before the move was to happen. 
Clearly, I come from a legacy of some very strong women. <laughs> and yet, they, they are not the only accounts that I've heard like that. I, I've heard of others in which a loved one seemed to hang on for a particular date, maybe a birthday or an anniversary. And I have heard of accounts where individuals sat by the bedside of a loved one for days, and it was only when they left the room that that loved one breathed the last. It doesn't always happen that way, of course. But the glimpse that we have of Jesus is, in fact, of the way that he, in fact, remained in control until the very end, until he handed over his spirit. Certainly, that glimpse gives us an amazing sense of admiration for his strength to the very end. But more than that, to speak of him handing over his spirit proclaims a theological truth. Namely, Jesus said, I am finished. And it is only then that he handed over his spirit as he had completed the task for which God had sent him. Thus, that handover, of all the ones that we have pondered in recent weeks, that handover by far is the most significant for you and me as it brought us the possibility of being forgiven. And yet, in the midst of those same moments, there was another handover from Jesus, and it happened just prior. He came in that poignant conversation between him and his mother. Keep in mind, at this point, Jesus' hands are nailed to the cross. And so when he looks at his mother and then at John, he must have either turned his head or moved his eyes when he said to Mary, here is your son, and to John, here is your mother. And the Gospel writer tells us that it was from that moment that John took Mary into his home. And that is the biblical origin for that shrine in Turkey as a possibility of how it is that John lived out that vow to Jesus. And yet, there is something more that's happening in that moment. For it's not only a time in which Jesus is offering a final act of love and devotion for his mother to ensure her care after he is gone, but he is creating something new. A New Testament professor named Gail O'Day put it this way. When Jesus entrusts his mother and the beloved disciple to each other, it points to Jesus' death as the link between the past of Jesus' ministry, represented by his mother, and the movement of that ministry into the future, represented by the beloved disciple. It symbolizes the beginning of the creation of the new family of God. In other words, in that moment, Jesus established something that we know as the church. 
It began when he entrusted his biological mother into the care of his spiritual brother, establishing this new family that endures. Now, typically, we think of the birthday of the church as the day of Pentecost, something that happens a few weeks after the crucifixion when Jesus has returned to heaven and the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples in this room where they have gathered and appears as tongues of fire. But surely, from the cross, we are given this hint of the church and of the task that Jesus assigned in that moment, not only of proclaiming the good news of his love, but caring for one another. Last week, we received nine new members into this church. Next month, we will receive the latest confirmation class as they profess their faith too. And each of them will become part in a new way of this body of believers. Their presence with us not only strengthens our life together, but it reminds us of the task that is still ours as the church of sharing the good news and of caring for all of God's children. One of the joys that I have as a minister is to officiate at baptisms, be they adult or a teenager or a child. In the case when it is a child being baptized, I often talk to the parents about what it is that we hope for their little one in the church, and sometimes we'll tell them a true story about our son. For as in a previous pastorate, that the church had this softball team, and I served both as a player and as the coach. Fortunately, there weren't many times I needed to actually be on the field, and instead could use my logistical abilities to organize and keep track of schedules and rosters and all that kind of thing. Our son was about five or six years old at the time, and he would go, to me, go with me to every game. He loved to be the bat boy. And so he'd sit on the bench talking with the guys. After their, a player had gotten a hit, he'd rush out to get the bat. If the ball went over the fence, he would run and get it and bring it back. It was in the midst of that season that one Sunday I learned that when Lori and Emsley and Michael were sitting in the church that he turned to his mom and said, Hey, Mom, there's the catcher. And he looked somewhere else in the room and spotted the pitcher and the shortstop. He didn't know their names yet. He knew the role that they played on the team, though. And soon thereafter began this new pattern of Sunday mornings when I would walk into the sanctuary and I would spot Lori and Emsley sitting together, but then have to scan the room to find Michael. And inevitably, he was sitting with another member of the team, laughing it up about the previous game. That's what we want for every child and grown-up of the church. We want the church to be the place where we come together to celebrate the good news and praise God for it, and where we form these enduring ties with each other. For it began with those two handovers from a cross long ago. 
And whether or not that house in modern-day Turkey was one result of it, it remains our privilege and responsibility in this house to share in that gift together. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for that glimpse of your Son and his final actions, even on the cross. We are humbled that he would hand over his spirit on our behalf. And we give thanks for the glimpse that he offered in that moment of the church. We pray that individual disciples living all of these centuries later, that we might continue to grow in claiming that responsibility and gift anew and that we might act upon it in ways that bring you glory and honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.